So this morning, we are going to continue in the book of Ephesians, uh, starting at verse 3 of chapter 1. And in the same similar fashion to what we did in Titus, my plan is uh, we're going to look at a large section of Scripture, or you could call it a pericope. This is a large section of Scripture broken down in your Bible uh, with a heading that somebody added at some point. So that's called a pericope. It's, it's a section or a summary section of Scripture. The section that we're going to be looking at for the next several weeks is Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. This morning we are going to fly through verse 3. But for the next several weeks we will be looking at this whole section. So let's read it together for the sake of context. Um, I always regret saying the word together because I'm going to read it alone, but you're going to read it with me in your head while I read. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we require possession of it, acquire, to the praise of his glory. Father, we thank you uh, that you are a blessed God. We thank you, Father, uh, that you are good that you are gracious and kind. We thank you that you are all-powerful. You are all-knowing. We thank you that all things work according to the purpose of your will. We pray this morning that we would take great hope, uh, that we would have greater understanding of what it means to be blessed, and that our lives would be different as a result. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you look with me again, just at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so first, we, we want to think about how do we understand blessed? What does that mean? Understanding the truth about blessed. Like one thing I would like to understand is when is it appropriate to say blessed and when is it appropriate to say blessed? It's the same word. I don't know. I have no idea. 
I was going to spend time trying to figure it out, but I was overwhelmed by looking at biblical things. I didn't have time to look at English grammar things. But as we look at this word blessed or blessed, the blessed, we, we should understand what does this mean. And you see it in your Bible in various places. Our ladies right now are seeing it in the Bible frequently as uh, some of the ladies of our church every Monday morning gather in a park, at Spirit Park, uh, and they are meeting with and talking with other moms in our valley, some Christians, some not. And they're just seeking to be moms with them, but using that opportunity to proclaim the word of God to our community. And so those ladies every Monday are gathering together to proclaim the word, to encourage believers, some of our church, some of other churches, and to evangelize the lost who are willing to show up and hear about this Jesus. And so right now, uh, they're going through the Sermon on the Mount because some of the ladies got so excited when Danny taught through the Sermon on the Mount. And so they felt like this is, this is a good thing for us to do. This would be helpful. And it's true. As you read the Sermon on the Mount, maybe you're not familiar, but the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 of Matthew, Jesus begins with this saying. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Or blessed are the poor in spirit. And he goes on to give a category of those who are blessed. As he says blessed... He is communicating in a different word than we find here in Ephesians. But in English, we call them both blessed. Because if you look up the word blessed in an English dictionary, there's two possible definitions. So when we use the word blessed, we are thinking of one of two things. One, someone who is blessed is someone who is revered or praised. Uh, someone who's exalted, who, who you give favor to, or even someone who's worshipped, right? So you say... Well, let's, can someone give a blessing? What are we saying? Can someone show favor to our food that God might not kill us through it? Maybe that's what you mean. That's what most people end up praying for. So I assume that's what you mean when you pray, bless this to our body. Don't let it be bad for us. Give us nutrition. Maybe you never thought you're praying to bless your food that God won't kill you through it, but he'll give you. But that's what I hear. Many people pray, bless this food to our body. Let it give us nutrition. You're blessing your food. You're asking God to show favor to your food, to you through your food. If, if you say, oh, you know, bless them. We live in Southern California, so when we say bless your heart, it means bless your heart. It means we hope that your heart is well. If you're in the South, it's like taking God's name in vain. It's taking the word blessed in vain. It means you're an idiot. Uh, they are, they've switched what the word blessed means. But it is to revere or to show praise, to exalt someone. We say, oh, bless you. You're saying you care for them. You're hoping things go well for them. The other is someone who is enjoying happiness or has a joy or they are satisfied or pleased. They go, aren't they blessed? Isn't that a blessed person? Do you see how blessed they are? It's referring to the joy they have, their happiness, their temporary status. And as we read the book of Matthew in 5, when it says, blessed are, it is speaking of happy are. Those who live this way are happy. And so a lot of you ladies have been reading this. A lot of you came to community group. You're aware of this. But when you realize what he's saying there is blessing is the joyful, satisfied status of life. He says, blessed are, satisfied are, joyful are, happy in life are. What do you expect to come next? And this is what Jesus says. He says, blessed or happy or joyful are those who are poor in spirit. Those who mourn. 
Those who are meek. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who are merciful and pure in heart. Those who live to make peace with others. And those who are reviled. Those who are persecuted. For the sake of the name of Christ, all kinds of evil is proclaimed against them falsely. And Jesus says, happy are these people. Happy are these people. How can those people be the happy ones? The poor in spirit. Those who look at themselves and they find no worth within their inner being. They find nothing within themselves that is worthy or valuable to present. They are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, those who weep, those who look at the world and are saddened by the world. They are the happy. The one that is most overwhelming to me is those who are reviled and persecuted, those who have all kinds of evil proclaimed against them falsely, On account of Christ, these are the happy of the earth. How can these people be happy? How can they, the ones who are reviled, the ones who are persecuted, the ones who don't find worth and value in themselves, those who are meek, who even the strength they have, they set aside for the good of others, those who mourn over the state of life, how can they be those who are Happy. How can Jesus say, these are the happy? And he tells us why in the Sermon on the Mount. If you looked at Matthew chapter 5, which I'd encourage you to do, if you look at verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In verse 8, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In verse 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In verse 10, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, he says in verse 12. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. How are these people the happiest of earth? Because they are not looking for the blessings of earth. They are overwhelmed by the blessings of God. And I mean blessings in the opposite sense, or the other sense, not opposite. Because remember, one is, we use it in English, to be blessed, to be happy, to be satisfied. I'm living the blessed life. And the other is to be revered, to be praised, to be exalted. And because these people find themselves as citizens of the kingdom of heaven... Because these people shall see God. Because these people will be called sons of God. Because these people have the kingdom of heaven and their reward is great in heaven. When their lives look like what the world says, you should be miserable. They say, I am blessed. I am happy. I am joyful. Because I have far more than this world has to offer. It is important as Christians that we understand the word blessed. Because if we don't, we will be deceived and even condemned as a result of false teaching. 
There are many teachers in the world today that would say, you need to seek favor from the Lord. You need to seek the blessing of the Lord. How do you get the blessing of the Lord? Don't you want the blessing of the Lord? I was listening to a radio and a man with probably good intentions was saying, you just have to look out and find the blessings of the Lord in life. When life is going in other ways, you have to find the blessings. And then gave an example about how he found something that is honestly trivial and passing in life to say that's the blessing from God. Yes, in one sense it is true. All creation is a blessing from God. But Christian, your hope and your blessing is far more than the temporary perishing things. If I asked you this morning to write down, how has God blessed you? I just want you to think through that list real quick. What would you write down? How has God blessed you? And as you write down that list, is it full of only temporary things? Is it possessions? Is it pleasure? Is it relationships and people? Is it things that will someday change? When you think of being blessed, how do you think? And when you think of the God who is blessed, what do you think? Those are the two things that we need to clarify in the beginning of our study of Ephesians 1 through 3, really. If you remember with me last week, Ephesians 1 through 3 proclaims no command to you. As Paul wrote Ephesians, in those first three chapters, in this beginning half of the book, he spends half of his time writing with no demand on your life. Nothing about what you must do. He proclaims who Christ is, who God is, and what God has done. And this is incredibly important, Christian. Because there is nothing in your life that you are commanded to do that does not flow from the reality of what Christ has already done. And the book of Ephesians, the book of Galatians, uh, pretty much every epistle of Paul, 1 Peter, all proclaim the truth before they proclaim the command. And too often, we have the understanding of blessing backwards. We think if I live the commands, God will bless me. And Ephesians will proclaim to us for the coming weeks that God is the God who is blessed and he has blessed us. And it won't be until chapter 4 that he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The first three chapters proclaim the calling to which you have been called, the blessing which God has given his people and who God is. And it is not until chapter 4 that it proclaims what you must do. We are often obsessed Not with him who is blessed, but with the blessings. We often only want a better marriage, not to glorify God more. We often only want more possessions, not to be more generous on God's earth. We often just want easier relationships, not to struggle to show people how Jesus can bring reconciliation in situations that seem impossible. We often are only happy when things are going well, and we would not be fittingly described by Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted falsely for Christ's sake. But my belief is that Faith Bible Menifee and many Christians want to be those who are true to Matthew 5, those who are kingdom citizens, those who do have a joy, as Peter describes, that the world will say, what defense do you have for this hope? When your world is falling apart in our eyes, how are you hopeful? 
And to do so, I think we need to understand the foundational truths of what it means to be blessed. So let's look at Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So two things. Number one, the truth about the blessed God. And number two, the true blessings of God in Christ. Number one is the truth about the blessed God. Remember, blessed in our language uh, could, could mean both things, to be praised, to be proclaimed, to be exalted, or to be happy and satisfied. God is both, but here he is described as the blessed God. He's described as the God who is exalted, the God who is praised. And this is not written as a command for you, right? We, we read in the Psalms this morning that his people should praise him. But this is not written that you would praise him. This is written as a fact. He is the blessed God. He is the God who is praised. He is the God who is exalted. He is the God who is revered. And I want to point out to you a few ways that happens. Number one, his people declare it. His people declare that he is the blessed God. We read it this morning in Psalm 100. We proclaim that he is God, to know the Lord that he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pastures. Give thanks to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good and steadfast. His love endures forever. Psalm 145, the whole psalm proclaims the goodness of God. The psalms throughout proclaim the goodness of God. But in Psalm 145, he says, Great is the Lord our God, and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. His people declare that he is blessed. Secondly, creation declares that he is exalted. You could find it throughout the Psalms and throughout the Bible. But in Psalm 19.1, it's very concise. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. In Romans, that we'll look at shortly, it proclaims that all creation yells to mankind that he exists. It says that all mankind know his divine power and his righteousness because of creation. He is the blessed God, not just because his people say he is blessed, right? We could stop there and the world would be satisfied to go, of course you guys say that. You say what's good for you and we'll say what's good for us. There is no ultimate truth. We each find our own. And if we stopped there to say only his people declare him blessed... Well then, yeah, it's relative. If you don't declare he's blessed, maybe he's not. But the word of God does not stop with the praise of his people. It says, the heavens, his creation declares. All creation declares it. Not just the physical creation we see, but what is unseen declares it. If you read in multiple places of scripture, but my favorite, Isaiah 6, verse 3. You see angels who have different coverings all over their body to guard them or shield them from the glory of the Lord. But overwhelmed by the glory of the Lord, they sit around him and they proclaim his attribute, which we would say is above all his attributes, the reality of his holiness, that he is not like anything created. He is uncreated. He is holy above all things. And they proclaim over and over their whole existence is to sit before him and declare that he is holy, holy, holy holy and the whole earth is filled with his glory 
When Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is not recommending that you bless him. He is declaring that he is the God who is exalted. He is the God who is blessed above all. His ways are unsearchable. His creation proclaims that you could not even fathom who he is. It is a screaming declaration that he is far more powerful than you could imagine. And the fact that you ignore the truth doesn't change the truth. Why don't all people declare it then? The fact that you don't cry out that he is blessed is not evidence of who he is. It rather is evidence of your condemnation before him. The truth that he is the blessed God is not a truth that can be taken or left. Mankind has not recognized his blessedness. We, you, did not recognize his blessedness. You did not recognize the God who he is. We, like all mankind, chose to worship, to praise, to bless the creation rather than the creator who should be blessed. And Romans declares that. It says, claiming to be wise, claiming to have understanding, they became fools. Who is they? Mankind. Claiming to be wise, we, mankind, became fools. And what did we do? We exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Notice, man has historically, from the fall, looked at creation and found things in creation to worship rather than God. He has given his worship to the temporary, believing the lie, rather than giving his worship to the eternal, the immortal, who is over all things, who Paul says will be blessed forever. And so if you live as though he is not the blessed God, you are not choosing truth for yourself. You are rebelling against the truth that is. And Christian, this is not just for unbelievers, right? Your sin patterns, those things you turn back to, are the reminders to you that you are not far from them. You are those who often claim to be wise, but become fools. You are often those who will give everything for the temporary. You will give everything for things that just resemble the immortal God. Right? You will give everything for what is perishing. Esau gave his birthright for a bowl of soup. And how many times have we been willing to go into sin just over food and gluttony? How many times have you worshipped your marriage so much that you were willing to exalt the temporary picture of the gospel? And ignore the eternal picture. How many times have you given yourself over to worshiping your children so much that you give them what they want or you lack giving them what they need 
because you just want them to be happy and blessed. And you ignore the clarity of the Word of God, who is blessed forever. How many times have you frivolously spent? Because you wanted a temporary perishing thing. How many times have you worshipped not money, but loans and debt to get what you want, even though God has not given you what you need to get it? How many times have you done so in the name of honoring God, but you live as though that is the object of your worship? Christian, it is not the unbeliever only who needs to remember that God is blessed. It is you. You need to remember his holiness. You need to remember that he will be praised and exalted over all things. When your heart is tempted to worship anything else, you need to know And think and place it below. You need to guide the affections of your heart by the truth that you understand in your mind. You direct the non-physical elements of you. Your soul, your spirit, your heart, your mind, whatever it is described as. What is not your body must love God with all. And the actions of your body must be directed by the truth of your soul. And if you have a shallow truth, then you will have shallow actions. If you dwell on the blessings that come from God more than you dwell on the blessedness of God, you will miss the blessings of God and you will forget the God who is blessed. You must dwell on the truth of who he is. Because it is the means by which he says he will make you who you are. Who he has already purchased you to be. And that is the second truth. The true blessings of God in Christ. The true blessings of God in Christ. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Statement of fact. And he does not leave us there. He actually goes on for sentence after sentence after sentence without ending it as a sentence. Any teacher of Paul's, well, I don't know if a teacher of Paul's, but any teacher of mine would have marked Paul down. They would have said, Paul, that is a long, run-on, confusing sentence. You need to tighten up your writing. And Paul is a humble man, so he might say nothing to them. He might, he might feel happy when he is falsely persecuted. But I would say, this is the authority of God. You take your sentence rules to earth, because this is eternal truth. It doesn't stop for periods. keeps going. It's got paragraph after paragraph of commas. And that's how he writes this. From 3 all the way to 14 is really just proclaiming the truth of this blessed God and how you know he is blessed. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is not giving a reason. This is continuing to tell us why we ought to... No, it's continuing to tell us why He is the blessed. What He has done to prove He is the blessed. It's asking nothing of you. It's just stating to you what you must know. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Notice... God has blessed us. This is not a proclamation to pursue a blessing. This is a proclamation of a blessing already done. 
Favor from the Lord already given. Praise to you from him because of his son. He has blessed us. Notice why he has blessed us. He has blessed us in Christ. Throughout the book of Ephesians, you will see in him, in Christ. Because again and again and again, particularly in this first section, it will remind, this is in him. This is what he has done. You are blessed not because what you have done. You are not living to obtain a blessing alone. You have obtained a blessing that causes you to live to obtain the blessing. Because what he has done. And notice that our blessing is beyond this perishing life. They are blessings of eternal life, blessings of his kingdom, blessings in the heavenly places. Blessings that can carry you through the temporary problems of this life. And he recognizes that these problems are difficult. Right? He led Peter to write of this very same thing and in the same truth that our eternal blessings, that they are imperishable, they are undefiled, they are forever. And he says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, temporarily, though now, for a little while, if necessary, because he knows what he's doing, he is intentionally doing what he's doing. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved. He knows this is painful. He's not looking down on you thinking, why are you crying? Suck it up. It's not that hard. No, it says he sympathizes with our weakness. He knows it is temporary. He knows it is painful. He knows it is necessary. And he knows it is working to show us the eternal glory of Christ. He says that these temporary trials are working to show you far more that though you do not see Christ, you love Christ. And Paul expresses the very same thing here, condensed. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Do you find blessing in the Lord? Do you find favor in the Lord? Do you want to? I would assume yes. And there are many false teachers who will proclaim, you've got to name it and claim it. You've got to cry out blessing. You want blessing to come on you, then you have to speak blessing into existence. And what Paul claims here is he has already, not he Paul, he God has already proclaimed the blessing. That's what this word means. It means he has declared you blessed. And that declaration is a blessing in the heavenly places. This is an eternal blessing. This is a blessing that will go forever. And these are blessings you must remember. So we are going to take our time ever so slowly through them. But this morning, I just want to point them out to you. Because he does not stop there, right? Many false teachers might say, he has blessed us with every... They don't all talk in accents. I'm not going to... He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. You are blessed from the Lord. Every blessing is yours. Everything is yours. And they speak in vague terms. They don't have clarity of what it means to be blessed. And when they do have clarity, it means wealth and possessions and pleasure. They say, pursue the blessing of the Lord. You are his favored children. You can get it. Whatever you want is yours. No, the blessed are poor in spirit. They're meek. They don't use their power to get what they want. They use their power for the good of others. 
The blessed mourn over the state of the world, not revel in it and try to use it for themselves. The blessed have far more to place their hope in than the temporary things of earth. And so when he says we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, he is specific of how you were blessed. Verse 4, you are blessed because you have been chosen in him. That you should be holy and blameless before him. He is removing all of the struggles of your unrighteousness. Because he has chose you. Because you are his. He is living in your life in such a way that you will progressively be free from what your burden is. In love, he predestined us for adoption. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. In verse 5, we see that we are blessed not only in that he chose us. But what he chose us for, he has predetermined that we would be his sons, his daughters, his people. In verse 7, it says that we are blessed in Christ because we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of trespasses according not to our actions, but according to the riches of his grace. Grace, which Paul stops to preface, the abundance of his grace, which he lavished on you. He did not restrain his action, but he lavished it. That no, no, no sin will keep you from him because he has chosen you. You are his. You are his child. And you have been freed from it. You no longer have to live in it. You can choose to live by faith and repentance because you have redemption through his blood. And then lastly, almost, we have obtained an inheritance Verse 11, that he is not saying you will forever live for nothing. He says, though now, for a little while, if need be, you are grieved by various trials. But then forever, because you are currently obtaining the salvation that you will one day hold for eternity. Christian, you are not giving up anything by giving up the things of the world. You are gaining everything. Persecution is not destroying you. It is praising you that you stand with Christ. Being poor in spirit is not defeating you from accomplishing anything. It is giving over that he might accomplish anything he wants. To be meek is not to get walked on. It is to walk well with him, knowing that he was walked on and spit on and beaten and pierced that you might be saved. But if you don't understand the truth of God who is blessed and rest your hope on the truth of the spiritual blessing he has given you, you will find yourself shallow in truth and you will quickly be discouraged because your hope will be sent on temporary things. And when a little persecution comes, when a little bit of difficulty, let's be honest, when some first world problems arrive at your doorstep, it is though all hope is lost. Your neighbors don't ask you, where is the hope within you? They might ask you. They don't ask you how the hope is there because when a little discouragement comes, you are hopeless. I don't know if you feel that way. I often feel that way. Who would ask me if I'm hopeful because I feel as though I have no hope? Christian, it is because we have a shallow understanding of our hope. And Paul, in love, and God, in love, has given us chapters like Ephesians 1 through 3 
that when we get to four and five and six and try to live it out in marriage and family and as citizens, we have a depth of truth to say, I can persevere through this because I have every spiritual blessing in Christ. And the most abundant blessing now is verse 13, that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. And you were sealed with the promise of his Holy Spirit, the Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. It is not even you who guarantee that this will come about. It is him. It is not you who have believed. He will make clear in chapter 2. It is a gift of faith. And it is why Paul, through the whole letter, builds to chapter 4 where it says, Walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That is our aim. That is our thrust through the whole book of Ephesians. It's not just to get stirred up and excited about the truth. It's not to get better marriages and become better parents and better citizens and better employees. It is to root ourselves so deeply in the truth of what Christ has done when the trials and the difficulty and the failures and the struggles come that you are not looking to the world for answers. You're not trying to figure out a new idea, a new relationship, a new possession, a new diet, a new pleasure, a new house, a new car, new kids, whatever you're looking for new, that you will rest, that you already have Every spiritual blessing in Christ. You've been chosen. You've been predestined to be his son or daughter. You've been redeemed. And even your weakness, your failure, your sin, your rebellion is covered in his blood. You have already obtained the inheritance which awaits you. And it is guaranteed to you because his spirit has proclaimed it by the faith that you have believed. So what do you do? One of two things. If you're a believer, you jump ahead, right? It's helpful and motivating to know what is the application. And I don't want you to go through the book of Ephesians not knowing. The application is Ephesians 4.1. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. He tells you the calling up to chapter 4. He tells you how to walk in a manner worthy after chapter 4. Christian, read it. Dive into it. Don't wait for Sunday morning for me to just trail through verses so slowly that you could disconnect them from everything. Read it every week. See the whole forest. Understand everything that's there. So on Sundays, you are encouraged as we stop and look at the trees. And if you are not a believer, Paul would proclaim to you as he did to others, the time of ignorance God has overlooked. He has shown grace. He has not currently destroyed all of mankind. But now he commands people everywhere to repent Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And Paul does not make it a secret who that man is. It is Jesus. And he has given assurance to all that this Jesus is the God who will judge all and the man who is over all because he has risen him from the dead. So maybe this morning you realize your hope is not in Christ. You realize this truth is Christian's truth, not your truth. And I hope your heart is compelled to understand this is the truth, not our truth. This is old truth. This is real truth. This is God's truth. And that you would respond as he has proclaimed to repent, to turn from the lies, to turn from your self-righteousness, to turn from your pride, 
to be those who are poor in spirit and meek, not because of what they have done, but because of what Christ has done in them. Let's pray that God would be so gracious to continue that work in us and allow us to be a means of doing that work in others. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is good and faithful. We thank you, Father, that you have not just left us with a list of commands, but throughout your word you have proclaimed we cannot fulfill those commands. You have proclaimed that we are dependent upon you, Father. I think of the book of Joshua, and as the people say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua says, it is a great idea, but you can't. And when you don't, he will do it. I pray, Father, you would help us not to be those who proclaim to the world, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And stop. But we would proclaim, as for me and my house, we long to serve the Lord and we trust with Joshua, we can't. But he will. We pray you would do this for the sake of your name, for the sake of your glory, that we might not just know you are blessed, but you would be proclaimed as blessed to all people through our lives because of your grace.